Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, and welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Today's topic is the enduring pain of societal and global threats. In a world where hostility and danger may lurk in ambush almost anywhere, we tend to default into suspicion and hypervigilance, raising the question as to whether we have reached the point where we simply expect an ever-expanding array of novel dangers. Most of the overarching challenges we face appear intractable, but one must wonder whether our current and pervasive alert readiness drags us further into combat mode in an increasingly hostile and polarized environment where even one's home is not really a safe zone. Add to this mix a fractured and incoherent media establishment coupled with a major credibility crunch. And it illustrates the current picture, a rabbit hole bristling with with razor blades. Our guest today is Dr. Carol Lieberman. A brief bio follows. Carol Lieberman, MD, MPH, is a board-certified Beverly Hills psychiatrist and author of two award-winning books on terrorism, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. She is referred to as, quote-unquote, America's psychiatrist. She is also known as the terrorist therapist, trademark and hosts The Terrorist Therapist Show. Dr. Carol is a three-time Emmy-honored TV news talk commentator on today's headlines from a psychological and sociopolitical point of view. She appears on top TV shows from Oprah to Fox News, CNN, HLN, Today Show, Good Morning America, ET, Access Hollywood, and more. Dr. Carol was trained at NYU Bellevue and at Anna Freud's London Clinic. She has served on the clinical faculty of UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute for years. Dr. Carol, welcome to HealthScape. Really good to have you with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So diving right in, it seems that um, as a society, we have reached the unusual and questionable status of living in the age of what I call the everything crisis. And I choose that name as there already is an everything bubble described in economics. And then, of course, some of us have long enjoyed the everything bagel. Do you also hear this sort of thing from your patients occasionally, that it's like, how much more can we take? Yes, all the time. Um, You know, something happens, like, for example, coronavirus. Um, Right. We we, uh, try to you know, survive, literally survive through that. And then, um, and then, you know, while that was happening, really, and the lockdowns and everything else, um, then there were other things, there were riots, and there were, you know, now there's monkeypox, and then and there's Putin and Ukraine. And 
right. uh, the economy and yes, and, and, and everything bagel, <laughs> and, uh, but not, it's not as delicious as an everything bagel. No. Um, and so it's like, you know, you, you hang in there. Yes. And you think, well, I, if I just get through this, whatever the, this is at that moment, uh, then everything will be okay. And then, then before right. you can, you know, that can end, there's something else on top of it. It's really very, um, Oh, it's, there's never been anything um, like this in our history. And no. um, it really is making people act out in very crazy ways from air rage to, um, you know, shooting people in the street to just all kind, kinds of crazy behavior. And in some ways it's because people are feeling as though there's no future you know, right, there's right. that there's no um, uh, new normal. You know, there is no new normal. What's the new normal? And so mm-hmm. um, people are feeling like we're on the edge of a cliff and there's nothing. You know, we're walking towards the edge of a cliff and then right. there's nothing. And so they're acting out in all kinds of crazy ways. One, because of facing their mortality. And mm-hmm. two, because it's like, um, well, you know, the world is is going crazy and I'll just do what I want too. Right, right. Uh, no, absolutely. It's it's basically anything goes. I mean, new normal was the catch the the catchphrase um, after nine eleven, right? And, um, and this is a whole another extension, that is a completely different world. Now, as many people know, this program, um, this podcast, focuses on chronic diseases, mental and physical, as especially chronic pain. And those with chronic pain have intimate knowledge of psychological pain, which I often refer to as, quote unquote, the groan that cannot be heard. Um, It's a punitive feeling of being singled out and being endlessly tested. So it's not a winner, obviously, from an experiential point of view. Now, the very word, of course, is derived from the Latin poena, which means punishment, not surprisingly. Please tell us about the psychological pain that your patients report. Oh, it's pretty much um, everything and anything from anxiety to um, depression um, to PTSD to um, obsessive compulsive disorder, eating disorders, um, addictions, you know, um, especially after all the lockdown We've, um, you know, that's been a time when people, especially people who were alone, uh, started either, either, um, reek if they were addicts of of drugs or alcohol before some of them, and they, they had stopped being addicts. Some of them started again, or if they were never addicts, um, some of them, you know, began food, you know, being home all the, all the time and right next to the refrigerator and the stove. Um, And it's been especially hard for uh, teenagers, for kids Mm -hmm. and teenagers, because, um, because they need uh, the, they need being with other people, you know, face to face in person. Correct. in uh, not been going to school, not been doing sports, all of these kinds of things. And what they have been doing is um, communicating uh, or at least, you know, uh, becoming subsumed in uh, social media. 
And social media has been very harmful psychologically because, um, first of all, you know, since they're not face to face with people, they count on how well they're liked by how many likes they get, you know, Mm -hmm. to their posts and things Mm -hmm. like that. Or they see other people and, you know, with the uh, with photoshopped pictures to make them look fabulous and um, or with or to make them look like they're going to all these great places and having fun. Um, and so they get very jealous. And and then, you know, not to mention the cyber bullying uh, that kids do of each other. And mm-hmm. so since they're cut off, they've been cut off from the rest of the world. There's all the focus is on uh, the connection on social media. So it makes it even more powerful then of course another thing that's been happening with social media with or with the lockdowns um there's a phenomenon called uh bedroom terrorists now what that is it was actually um first begun in in england um I do a podcast, The Terrorist Therapist Show. And so every week I do research on the hottest topic and terrorism for the week. And so um, so in England, there was this case of a of a terrorist who um, shot or um, stabbed. I don't remember right now, but um, a a person who was in the government. And um, so they were calling him a a bedroom, the terrorist, a bedroom terrorist, because Mm. And what that means, um, and it's I use it in the states to mean um, because it's particularly uh, fitting for kids, where they've had all this time to be in their bedrooms or in their homes, and they have been spending a lot of them have been spending a lot of time on the internet playing violent video games. Right. And um, that has been, we know from studies, I know, you know, it's controversial, but um, I, I used, was the head of the National Coalition on TV Violence. And so, um, you know, we studied all kinds of research and so on. And there is no question that the more violent media you consume, the more aggressive you become and video games, especially. So these bedroom terrorists, they've been in their bedroom, so to speak, you know, their home, um, uh, playing hours and hours and hours of violent video games. And then they come out into the world and they're ready for bear. And in fact, so I said months ago that we were going to see in this year an increase in the number of school shooters and the number of mass shooters. And we have been seeing this increase. And, you know, that is the primary thing. I mean, yes, there are other things too that, you know, other problems with their mental health too, but it is primarily all these hours that they've been spending on learning how to mm-hmm. um, become shooters. Uh, well, definitely. I mean, repetition normalizes people going into combat are, are, are understandably very scared in the beginning until they're not scared because they're getting used to it. Right. Uh, so I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, there's just been a huge study you probably know from, from the UK, 70,000 people where they find that um, it, it, social media is particularly harmful for young adolescent females. And, um, you know, really it's been devastating to the question uh, that led to the question, should it be rationed or banned? Should they be banned from it? It's pretty extreme, right? But the feeling from this um, 
one commentator who features on Medscape, the website Medscape, quite often. He ends his talk, his uh, five-minute uh, talk, by saying that the reason most of them are on, it's not so much because they enjoy it, but it's because it's untenable for them not to be on when everyone's on. And, you know, it struck me. I'd never seen it, thought of it in that way, and I'm sure he's right. Well, it's, all... it's fear of missing out. Yeah, well, correct. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's plain and simple. But they are, you know, they're unhappier. They, they can't concentrate, often connecting till two, four in the morning, so not sleeping well. You can imagine the school performance. Yes. Anyway, um, on, on the global scale, now we have the escalating threat of nuclear wars, especially since the Ukraine invasion. Pandemics, recent and possibly in the future, potentially devastating climate change. And even a recent awareness, which I found quite strange, that extraterrestrial life may possibly yet grace us with some sort of impromptu visitation. Uh, something at which I believe we should all shudder because if they get here before we get there, they're right, likely brighter than we are. And it may result in a sort of Columbus redux scenario, you know repetition scenario, particularly if they deem us to be some sort of barrier or even nuisance, depending on their tolerance. Does this issue actually come up in your work ever? Um, of, of extraterrestrials? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not in the abduction sort of thing. The, um, you know, that's fact that what if they come and, you know, they're kind of hostile. Well, you know, th there was, a, um, we haven't really been, other than the, what we've been hearing recently, um, you know, in this past year or so, um, is about the fact, you know, they're trying to like warn us that they were abducted by aliens, they were raped by aliens and that kind of thing. Right. And it was a um, a question as to whether this really was happening or whether, like, I talked about how um, they could well have been sexually assaulted by someone, by someone in real life, not an extraterrestrial, their father, a neighbor, you know, a stranger, somebody. Mm -hmm. And their mind has um, made it into being an extraterrestrial because it's too painful to think of it being their father, for example. Right. Because what we are seeing now in, in, in Canada, apparently, is that people that have self-harmed relating um, climate change or the, 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 their, their reaction to climate change as being a factor, have, uh, being a factor, which was news to me. So, you know, because we had very uh, unseasonably, in, in, in where I live on Vancouver Island, it got to, I think, about 30 six degrees in summer, which is like insane. Uh, and, and it was 42 in some parts of the province. So it's obviously something that's captured the image. I'm, I'm not going to dispute, uh, you know, the climate thing because I, I really don't know enough. Certainly climate changes over time. We know that. But um, people, people are worried about it. And uh, even the reaction to to high temperatures, whereas before, like at 30 degrees, it's a hot day. Now it's like you under the tap the whole time, even young people, which is a change. I just, I'm just pointing out a change. Yes, yes. And they, they certainly, um, research has shown that hot temperatures can have 
very significant effects psychologically and physically. Physically, um, it has to do with, a lot of it has to do with dehydration. Mm -hmm. Um, So people with chronic diseases like kidney disease or heart disease or uh, diabetes, something like that, you know, are affected by very hot, especially if it lasts a long time, very Mm -hmm. hot weather. Uh, Psychologically, it is shown to increase people's aggression. So if you're playing video games out in the sun, you're really in bad shape. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, because, because, and, and part of why the hot weather increases aggression is because, um, you know, it, 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 one thing that the heat does is to give you fuzzy thinking. Mm -hmm. And when people are having fuzzy thinking and they can't, make something happen that they want to have happen, whether it's uh, to talk, you know, or to um, just get something done and they're feeling frustrated because they can't think very clearly um, that the frustration can lead to uh, aggression. So, um, you know, and also it's particularly bad for people who have psychiatric problems to begin with, especially if it's a psychosis, um, you know, like bipolar or schizophrenia, and especially because uh, those medications for those disorders can, Mm -hmm. um, hot weather can do strange things, especially hot weather and the dehydration really can do strange things to the medication. And you kind of have to check with the doctor to make sure both psychiatric medication and just regular medication. And so you have to check with the doctor to see whether you should be changing the dose or the timing and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, even we saw, you know, um, increases in domestic violence as well in, in midsummer, you know, that was noted, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. go un, un, unmissed. Um, what are the three global or societal threats or concern that seem to mostly impact your patient cohort, the people you see? What would you name? Uh, they could be either or. They could all be societal or they could all be global. Um, well, it's every patient is really very different. Um, for example, on one extreme, I have a patient with PTSD from uh, an incident that happened to her personally. She was, uh, she works as a trainer um, at, a, at a gun range for people who, so people, the public can come and try different guns um, and there are targets and so on. And, um, and so there are some vintage guns and things like that. And so um, she had an, just a few weeks ago, she had an, an incident where a man came and he seemed like, you know, the an average man, you know, that she's she's been doing this for a very long time, seemed like an average man, nothing special. And um, he he was so he was doing some of the shooting and so on. And then once suddenly he took the gun and he aimed it at himself and he shot himself. Gee. So needless. And this was hot weather. <laughs> um, right. It was in hot weather. But um, so you know, that has traumatized her, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, so you, you look at how 
the man who shot himself was obviously suffering, you know, depressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he caused somebody else to have PTSD from, you know, shooting himself uh, in front of her. He came from a foreign country. So he wouldn't have been able to get a handgun as easily in his foreign country than he did now. But still, he was staying uh, in a nice hotel and having a vacation, and and he did this. So that's one sort of extreme. Uh, Another patient is a teenager. She's having a very hard time, um, primarily from the loss of school. Uh, she's gotten way, she's a smart girl, but she's gotten way behind because um, just being on her own, you know, um, having the first year having classes by Zoom. And so she failed a lot. She didn't do well. Um, and then she just took independent study. And then she was even more on her own. And she didn't do well with that. She just kind of kept sinking lower. And um, so now she has a tutor and so on, but, um, and she misses her friends and she had uh, four main friends. They were a tight group of four girls. They were a tight group and they did lots of things together and they played music and sang and all kinds of things. And um, since they've been separated um, because of COVID, um, two friends have gone off in one direction and then another friend went off in another direction. And then she's kind of left alone. So, um, so she's really loneliness, I would say would be her biggest problem. Um, yeah. And depression from loneliness, which is affecting her schoolwork. So, um, you know, it really runs the gamut. And then let's see. And then a, on a positive note, <laughs> um, I I have a couple who I'm I've been seeing for quite a while, and the the lockdowns actually um, they were they were almost on the verge of divorce before the lockdowns, and the lockdowns actually got them to um, be more dependent upon each other and work together and care about each other, the health of each other, and so on, and they're in better shape now than they were before. Amazing. That's a good story to hear because one hears enough of the other, you know, of the sort of locking horns from the too frequent uh, contact, basically, right? Yes, a lot of divorces. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, that that's that's a good story. Um, it's it's gratifying to hear. So um, this pain is I, I'm noticing as well. I don't see a lot of younger people, but they are listing grieving. They listing eating disorders, but just sort of eating and not just because they feel they should eat something, they, you know, what that kind of thing, as well as a grieving loneliness. And I, I never heard so much loneliness before. Okay, with the lockdown, understandable, but I don't think people have bounced back from the lockdown. Right, right. And, and that may take time. Uh, you know, I says, well, it is taking time. But that's kind of sad to see in young people, you know. Um, it's sad yeah. in everyone, but I never saw it so much of it in younger people. Well, it's because, um, you know, the younger the person is, um, elementary school, junior high school, high school, even, of course, college, um, that's the time when you're planning your life, what you want to be, you're planning what to study, you know, right. what jo- career you want and 
who you want to marry and all that kind of, and, and it, there's like this emptiness, you know, it's like a, a, a void. Like I was saying, the cliff, you know, so people are thinking, well, what's the point of, of uh, studying to be this or that, you know, I'm, right. that's not going to happen. That takes five years and they, we're not going to be around in five years, yeah. that kind of thing. Well, it was Noam Chomsky, I think, that said that, um, you know, part of college, you, you've got your professors to teach you because you, you don't know much about the field. But the, the banter, the repartee, the analysis and the arguments you have with fellow students should not be underestimated. And certainly from medical studies, that was a large part of my my education, too, because we all assimilated things differently. We're from different backgrounds. And... Um, and the richness of that, what that brings to you. Um, it's, it's very hard to explain to someone maybe who has not been exposed to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, that it's absolutely. something substantial, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a hard time. And again, it's, it's illustrating that longstanding Harvard study that went on what for, it's still going on 100 and something years on happiness. Mm-hmm. And that it's really your, your connectivity that wins hands down, uh-huh. which which shouldn't surprise us because with all the languages in the world and then experts still tell us that most of our communication is nonverbal. I guess people who need people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, we have to take a um, time for a short commercial break. Uh, you're listening to Healthscape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking with Dr. Carol Lieberman on the enduring pain of societal and global threats. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain, are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy, and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you looking for a path to better health rather than just avoiding disease? A good deal depends on your environment and overall behaviors. On Healthscape, 
with Dr. Trevor Campbell, we focus on the daily techniques that can help with chronic pain, addiction, trauma, and disease. You can take a more active approach to taking control of your health and your life. Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell can be heard every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. You are listening to HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so the um, Dr. Carroll, the political polarization, it's it's been going on a long time. Do you think it's, can it get worse? Is it getting, staying the same? Is there any hope of it getting better? Well, in America, it's getting worse and worse. Um, it's never been this bad. Uh, And I think that it is this bad on purpose um, because there are people who are trying to um, destroy America. And one of the ways that they're doing that is by creating division, political division, um, division based on race, division based on, uh, religion, you know, any kind of way that you can figure out can that you can create or accelerate um, a division. Uh, some people are trying to do that. Because it, it's kind of sad. I mean, you know, as we get better educated, we should be more expansive, not less. And it's this binary thing. You either agree with this or that. If you're somewhere in between, then it's just not even worth discussing. You've got two options. You're limited to one of the two options. And depending on the people you're with, they may not like your option. It, it just seems so restrictive and intellectually stunting that yes. it's kind of hard to cope with that, right? Yes. Um, you know, not only are families being torn apart, but, I mean, the problem is, well, in America, um, things got a lot worse with the um, death of uh, George Floyd, uh, which then spurned, um, spawned uh, riots. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, and then, but then people kind of became aware of some of these other issues um, that were problems, uh, like in school, what kids are learning in school, for example, and, and the statues being torn down and, you know, all of these things destroying American culture. And with Zoom and classes on Zoom, that's how a lot of parents first became aware 
of what their teach what their kids were learning in school and that's i mean it was a good thing in the sense that um that it it allowed parents to see what was really going on in some schools um but it is uh it's a very unfortunate situation it's very stressful you can't really you know colleges high schools colleges like what you were saying before you have this discussion you know besides the classes you have a discussion amongst other students and that's kind of how you learn about life really and you um you don't you disagree with each other all the time and um that's how you sort of learn more um to try to make your point better um Mm -hmm. or you know just uh it makes you think well maybe they do have a point um and and yes but now in colleges in america uh there really isn't this 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 disagreement or this these debates um you know the teachers are the professors are teaching um sort of a a limited kind of uh point of view and so the students are just eating it up you know just believing oh well then that's what that must be and that is a big, big problem in America. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine. It's very sad, actually. Um, it's certainly not a. It's not a positive development, by by all accounts. Um, we have to mention the fact that it doesn't at all help that many have completely lost faith in the mainstream media. Searching for clarity on any crisis now has like has been tantamount to thrashing around blindfolded, trying to find out what you're going to do next. And, you know, it's arguably more easy now or easier to legitimize catastrophizing because there's no, there's no true north. There's no anchor to any of this stuff. So your mind can veer off at a tangent because it's kind of anything goes with the news as well. And, yeah. and the narrative changes, which is a further complication, as we know. Yes. Um, you know, depending upon what channel you're watching, right. you get two completely different views of what's going on in the world. Yes. Uh, and, um, and I, you know, in a perfect world, people should look at both the mainstream media and not the mainstream media right. and figure it out for themselves, you know, what they think is true. But um, unfortunately, there's more mainstream media than other kinds. But um, but yes, it's very, very confusing. You'd think you were living in two different places, you know, if you watched one and then the other. Um, and it, of course, that's very confusing and disrupt, especially, especially the younger you are. Because the older you are, you've seen more of life and you can put mm-hmm. things into context better. Exactly. But the younger you are, you're, you're kind of like just at a loss. Well, should I believe this or that? Or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Now, you get the impression just looking at those old, you know, Walter Cronkite, for example, you know, uh, reporting from Southeast Asia. You had the feeling that whatever he was delivering was his best efforts. And, and people, I don't think, doubted that. I mean, I, I was young at the time, right? But now it's it's not the best effort. It's like you watch your favorite news channel and you make sure the news anchor puts out his best affronts, not efforts. 
mm. you know, to, to sort of sting the opposition. It's become very um, uh, infantile. I was going to say puerile, but it's, it's a lower age than puerile. It's infantile. You know, it used to be journalists like Walter Cronkite, for example, you know, they had so much um, pride in getting both sides of the story and incorporating both sides of the story into the court. Um, Now there is no such thing as both sides. Some channels, you know, present some one side and other channels present another side and they don't feel like they have to uh, present all sides. Yeah, it's just it's a sad time as well for for journalism, uh, and if if think if what we see still even counts as journalism, it's reporting really. Um, now, do you believe that the actual messaging of these threats that are described or crises is sometimes emotion uh, unnecessarily emotional? It's often mixed messaging. The narrative changes. And it further agitates us because sometimes it's also what they leave out. They won't, for example, tell you how fairly unreliable and crude, um, you know, computer modeling is. So a, a person who is not very well educated or not in the field assumes, well, these are experts and they're talking about computer modeling, therefore, it's got to be accurate. It's generated by a computer. And then you look up a crude search on Google. How accurate is computer modeling in any field? That's the question that they pose. And then they tell you how complex it is and how variable it is. By the fourth line, you're being told the more data points you've got, the better is that. And I'm like thinking, have you read the freaking question? It's your question and you're not answering it. Now, this doesn't inspire confidence in me. I'm not a weather person. I'm not a public health person. Um, Well, I've had some smattering, obviously, in my training, right? But so, you you know, like, if we're going to base things on, would it not be better to say, look, it's what we have? You know, we either have something or we have not. We have this, but it's pretty iffy. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I don't think that point's being made. And that kind of, uh, to me, that's, well, I think it's plain negligence, quite frankly. Yes. Um, you, you know, you, you when you see things on the internet, it's like all, it's all sort of the same. Um, it's hard to know who really is an authority on whatever it is that they're talking right. about and who and who isn't. Um, and you can get away with a lot online, you know, if, um, but, you know, it's interesting in the States, um, you, you know, they're I'm sure they sell the tabloids in Canada, too. Right. Um, yes. oh, yeah. At the yeah, and Globe and all of that. Um, I actually had a column first in the National uh, Examiner and then for one year and then the next year in the National Enquirer. So I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, people think, oh, well, this is just, you know, 
uh, talking about men on Mars or, or I mean, <laughs> there may be men on Mars like we were just talking about before. But I mean, that these are just ridiculous, outrageous kinds of things. Not to say that there haven't been stories in the past that are kind of outrageous kinds of things. But when I was writing my column, um, the the checking on that, they had lawyers upon lawyers checking mm-hmm. everything that I wrote and wanting to know my source and why did I think this? And, and you know, so there really is a lot more. Um, I mean, in some ways, you know, it's a lot fairer or more um, carefully looked at than a lot of the other things that go out in as in print or on the Internet. You know, when I, when I came to uh, North America in 1996, I was familiar with South African TV, which is for the uninitiated, can be anything. It can be very tedious, very structured, or a gong show. It, it's kind of anything. There's so many cultures, 13 official languages, right? So um, I was used to that in some British TV. And what I did notice right from the start was that American TV often it was two very opposing, contrarian and opposing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both are promoting their books and stuff, which is fine. It's a, it's a business too. But it was kind of um, repartee. It was almost like building conflict into a soap opera. Uh-huh. No one's interested in the village that lived in complete harmony for 500 years. <laughs> and, and basically, um, basically, I, I, I just thought, you know, if that's the selection, because the Brits, on the other hand, and they, I don't see them doing it that much anymore, they will drag some emeritus professor from one of their top two universities out of retirement, and he will give, a, or she, will give a, a sort of very succinct I, I very often, very seldom use the word beautiful summary of what's going on. And you just know, like, 1,500 hours of thought have gone into that short piece. Yeah. And, like, take it or leave it and smile and then fade, you know. On, and, and I used to like the British TV, BBC, for that reason, because they dragged in somebody, well, they got in, they persuaded, coaxed someone in that said something so memorable I, I basically remember it years ago on a subject I might not even have been that interested in. So I think it was rating. Am I sort of seeing too much in this? That ratings lowers the bar and then you sit with, maybe one sits with um, sort of lower, a lower bar. <laughs> Yes, yes, like reality TV, for example. That that, that certainly didn't help, in my opinion. Yes, yes. Um, Yes, do you you know the case of the Jenny Jones talk show murder? Yes, I I did. She was Canadian, right? I don't know. She was originally from Canada. Jenny Jones, yeah. Well, so so you know the story that... that, uh, Yeah, briefly, she she had a dating thing and then someone got really upset. There was the same, it was a uh, same sex secret crush show, but um, it was really, uh, it was the people who were invited to be on the show were not told that it was same sex secret, secret crush. They were told someone has a crush on you. And so the guys thought that it was a girl who had the crush on them and vice versa. Um, and I was the expert witness for the man, Jonathan Schmitz, who was the one who three days later shot Scott Amador 
who was the one who had brought him on the show. And it wasn't the media made it this whole thing, a gay hate crime, blah, blah, blah. And it had nothing to do with that. He he did, he wasn't he did not hate gay people. And um, and it was a much more complicated, nuanced kind of thing. And I testified at the murder trial and got him second degree instead of first degree. They thought it was going to be a slam dunk for first degree because he called 911. And so they knew who did it. You know. But anyhow, but that's an example. And since then. They've made contracts when you go to do a show, a, a reality show, or even just a regular like Oprah or a talk show. They now, Dr. Phil, they now have contracts that are like pages long to try to avoid being sued, like what happened in that case. Yeah. But it's still, but there are still things, Murray Povich, you know, there are still these shows on today, um, which really do not. Oh, which are just the most just sensational. You know, it really the point is to embarrass the people because that makes better ratings, you know, to see the, the yeah, yeah. Um, you see, I think the mer- the the merging to my mind, I mean, I'm not in the in the media. Well, I am kind of a it, but it, it to to merge entertainment uh, with the, I think the, the, the board has become blurred. And it becomes something else, an amalgam of stuff. Yeah. And then you can't tease out, well, maybe in the news also gets influenced by this sort of thing, something dramatic or uh, somebody mouths off an opinion on something they don't like and, and gets fired and that that's, that's huge ratings. Uh-huh. And, and I think that's kind of where things came a bit awry and then people are low confidence in the, in the mainstream media now, as we know. Um, but I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing because when people feel something, they change. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Um, have we finally reached some sort of critical mass or saturation point with regard to challenges or do you actually think the situation can get worse? I think it can get worse. Really? Um, yes. I was hoping. Well, we because, I mean, it is, like, if you look at these various things, it is getting worse every day. Uh, for example, recently, and, and no matter what somebody thinks about former President Trump, this really, you can hate him, but this, what th- what happened affects all of us. The raid on Mar-a-Lago where they um, supposedly were looking for, for classified documents or whatever, claiming uh, things having to do with a nu- uh, nuclear war or nuclear weapons. Um, some, the story we haven't, you know, the straight story hasn't come out, but but they, you, you have heard of that, how they, they raided Mar-a-Lago uh, looking for something. And that is so, that is such a scary event because even if you, you hate Trump, um, because that means that they can come into our house and, um, and look for whatever, you know, have a warrant that is based on nothing and come into our house and look for something. Um, you know, warrants are, are usually pretty hard to get, but and so, so a lot of things in America have become politicized. You know, the FBI and the uh, uh, Department of Justice, and of course the White House. But um, so there, that raid is is a huge deal um, in terms of the putting liberty at risk. 
um, it, it really, it has taken away, you know, we're supposed to have the Fourth Amendment where um, we're protected from things like that, unless there was some, I mean, you know, and now the latest news that I read today was that um, they aren't uh, unsealing the warrant for what they were looking for or why they were looking for it. That may change, but so far they, uh, and even though Trump said that he wants them to unseal it. So, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to get, to get transparency. So, um, so that's why I'm saying there seems to be more and more that is more and more freedoms that are being taken away. And I think that there could well be a civil war in the United States. Of course, it would be a little confusing because some people would be uh, having a war over race, some people over religion, some people over political party. There are so many different, you know, reasons why. Well, that's certainly a depressing thought. Now, in the 90s, I do remember some commentators in Time magazine, and I remember it connected with Time and, and Newsweek and stuff, speculated that that decade, the 90s, would be remembered as probably the age of admonition. There was such a, such a plethora of advice and truckloads of caveats at the time. Now, I don't remember it being remembered specifically as that because one hears less, one heard of more and more about it in the 90s and less subsequently. So one sometimes wonder whether we are currently living in the age of dread. Mm. Is that an overstatement or, or what do you think? Because What's you know if you if you face a future that's full of dread in instead of the chance to savor, it doesn't make life very appealing. Right, um, one has to find moments for oneself uh, to savor, um, but one also has to fight for the things that one wants to keep. You know, for the values that one wants to keep. Um, because rather than let some people take them away. So it's a combination of, um, you know, finding a little island for you and your loved ones, doing things, uh, enjoyable things, and, and keeping yourself healthy physically and psychologically healthy and all that, and, um, and having an outlet, you know, rather than doom scrolling, you know, just looking at the uh, computer all the time, the, all these, I mean, there's no end to the horrible things that you can find. Um, and so you do have to do that. But at the same time, we can't just stay in this, in this um, having fun time or the pleasure zone. Um, we do need to fight for freedom and, and things that we really believe in. And the lesson here from chronic pain, I mean, I've, I've been taken to task before because people uh, who are religious have, you know, told me about a religious practice that they use to help them. And I said, well, do whatever you normally do, because obviously it has a special place in your mind. And why would you give up on it in your moment of need? Mm -hmm. I would say it's more risky if you have no spiritual kind of tradition and then suddenly because of your diagnosis, you kind of turbocharge. I mean, I'm not saying it can't work. It's between you and forces and stuff. But um, I, I think that um, the lack of spirituality, which I, I just define as, as meaning beyond one's own life, a search for meaning beyond one's own life, and 
try connection to something greater than oneself, even if it's your higher self, is a wonderful garden or escape. Um, nature being another one. And when you're in nature, you actually forget about all these things, or at least I do. And, um, you know, you have to just, there's just more work now for equanimity. Because my last question was, what advice do you have for listeners? Well, already the island story and fighting and getting respite and an outlet, you've answered that question. But honestly, it's your its your communality, your, your, your own community of selected like-minded people, spirituality, and, um, you know, treating the mind as a garden or riyadh where you weed it all the time. Uh, you know, free it from negativity that, that just appears. Because we all love a garden, but we don't always like to work in a garden or sit in a garden that's unkempt, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's a lesson from the chronic pain people. Yes. Um, all of those things, nature... And, you know, that's why it was so hard with COVID when they were telling us to stay inside. That's the worst thing to do. You know, we really should be should have been and should be outside in the sun getting vitamin D and and walking in the woods and, you know, everything else. Any other kind of nature scene. You're lucky we're on Vancouver. Uh, The elderly were devastated by it. I mean, as we know, they can't handle inactivity or isolation. I mean, to explain to people that sometimes the removal of a large-faced wall clock can throw someone into confusion for three days Mm -hmm. just to have it repaired, you know. We're coming to the end of our time. Dr. Carol, it was wonderful speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience and insights with us. Uh, We face challenging times, there's no doubt. Uh, I never imagined at this age, in my mid-60s, you know, I always always kind of think things get easier, you know, because you've been around. (laughs) But um, no one's assured of anything, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yes. Well, it was a pleasure chatting with you as well. (laughs) Dr. Trevor Campbell. I've been speaking to Dr. Carol Lieberman regarding the enduring uh, pain of societal and Uh, global threats. Um, Join us again for another talk next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.